Do not be surprised this morning if the Spirit of God does a powerful work in your life. And if God does that work in your life, know that our church family is here to help you. And in these new and different days, the way you communicate that God has done a work in your life is you text it. <laughs> Isn't, doesn't that just feel so close and proximate? Doesn't that just feel so warm? Pull out your phone or your pad or your computer and text 84576, welcome to hope. But that's the fastest way for me to respond to you. And I will respond to you within minutes of this service. If you share a prayer request, if you share a need, that's how you share prayer requests. You just type in 84576 and there will be, um, if you type in welcome to hope, there'll be an immediate response to that text and you can put the prayer request where it says, how can we help? Or you can let us know that God's doing a work in your life and, and you wanna be discipled or, or have a conversation with someone about what it is that God is doing in your life right now. Now, we are talking today about the Holy Spirit. We're in this series where we're, we're it's two-part. We started it last week, and now uh, today we're, we're gonna finish it up. Uh, we need to see. We, we need to see what he can do, what the Holy Spirit, this person of the Godhead, what he can do. This year, it's, it's all about come see what God can do, and God can do great things. We know this because many in this room right now have a testimony of what your life was like before you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. How it is the Holy Spirit of God brought conviction on your life through the, uh, the proclamation of the word, whether it was a, a testimony or uh, some friend talking to you or, or the word being preached. When the word of Christ came and the Holy Spirit convicted, you repented and believed and you were saved. And now you know that God has saved you because he's at work in your life through that word, through the Holy Spirit, to the glory of the Father in the name of Jesus. And so we know God can do great things. And it's our hope and our desire and our prayer that we would be able to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. This is what we are called to do. This is who we are called to be. And we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the cousin it of the Trinity. He is a he. Scripture makes it very clear that he is a person. And it's so very important to understand that we understand the, the history of the Holy Spirit. As, or we may get confused about how we experience him. Just as a reminder, the Holy Spirit has been revealed in different, different ways over the years. In the Old Testament, he would come upon people. He would move upon them in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus came, to be with Jesus was to be with the Holy Spirit. But now, after Pentecost, to experience the Holy Spirit is to experience his work within us. And so we should expect him to work in us and then having worked in us to work through us. It's crucial that we understand the provision of the Holy Spirit so that we can, we can make sure to know what to expect from him. Expect the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5. This happens for all believers. Expect the benefits of the Holy Spirit for him to guide us in truth. Every believer receives this. Expect the gifts of the Spirit. And all, all those who've been born again have spiritual gifts. You can find a rudimentary list of them in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Those gifts are given not for, for us. They are given through us for the blessing of the church and the blessing of the world. And we all have different gifts. And someone says to you, well, you don't have the spiritual gift. You must not be saved. No, 
We all have different gifts according to the will. And again, this will of the Holy Spirit speaks to his personhood. So crucial that we understand his personhood and how we are to relate to him. The Holy Spirit is a person who thinks. He guides our thinking. He gives us understanding. He wills. He he desires what the Father wants and what is best for us. And he feels. And we can grieve him. Our sin and our apathy grieve him. Today... We're going to look at what the Holy Spirit does in and through our lives. We're we're going to to really celebrate Pentecost because it's one of the most important days in all of human history. Theologically, it's just as important as Christmas. It's just as important as Easter. The coming of the Holy Spirit has changed the world. It's changed the way we relate to God. Pentecost is an important day. Uh, On this day, the Holy Spirit came into the world to give new birth, to give new life. The Holy Spirit came to fill God's people with himself and to seal us until the day of redemption. Now, admittedly, one of the problems that the world has with us as Christians is they don't get what we're about or why we do what we do because they do not understand the supernatural reality that we are experiencing. I mean, it's it's hard to explain the Holy Spirit. It's hard to explain who he is and what he's doing. And that's why it's so often hard to explain the radical transformation that comes only through the Holy Spirit. Christians are not those who've experienced behavioral modification by a a human-made methodology. No, those who are born again, those who are experiencing the power of God are experiencing it because of the Spirit of God. And this is a supernatural reality. I could not save myself and you could not save yourself. We could not become what God designed us to be on our own. We don't have the power or desire. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives, giving us life, working through our lives. That's where transformation comes and that's why we are what we are, the children of God. And that's why we do what we do, the service of God in love, in the name of Jesus. The coming of the Holy Spirit has changed everything for us. It's changed, most importantly, how we relate to God and how it is we now live our lives. On the day of Pentecost, God the Holy Spirit came just as the Bible said he would. On the day of Pentecost, The Holy Spirit triggered all of the disciples, but especially Peter. Something powerful had happened to this man. He was now different. He was now standing and proclaiming the gospel. Now, let's remember what we know about Peter. Peter was the guy who spoke up. You'll remember when Jesus asked the disciples who they thought, who everybody said that he was. What happened? Matthew 16, 15. He said to them, this is Jesus, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The confession of Peter is the rock that Christ has built his church upon. This statement that he gave, that where he spoke up, he shared the truth of the gospel when Jesus asked. He's also the one, if you'll remember, who stepped on water when Jesus called him to. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, 
Command me to come to you on the water. He said, Jesus had come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Let's not forget that's this guy. He's the one who would speak up. He is the one who stepped out. He's also the one who stood down. He's the one who denied Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. When a little girl questioned him, he was afraid. He was afraid of the question of a little girl. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 73. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. This Jesus, uh, this Peter was the one that, that Jesus said would, would deny him. This Peter is the one that, this, that Jesus called him out to the water and he went. This Peter is the one who confessed Christ. And after the resurrection of Jesus and before his ascension, Jesus reached out and he restored Peter. The day Jesus was raised, look what an angel told the women. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, look at this. Tell his disciples and Peter. I once preached an entire sermon on and Peter. Because Jesus knew that he was heartbroken. Jesus knew the guilt he felt. Jesus knew. Jesus knows. And he called out him by name, just as he called me out by name. Just as he has called many of you out by name to come to him, to be restored to God, to get new life. Just as he is calling some today, even right now, to believe. And then he, he, uh, he, he, pushed him. He, he said, all right, uh, now, Peter, you got to get on with it. Jesus, uh, before he res- ascended, he had to talk with Peter in John 21, 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, well, then feed my sheep. He commissioned him. To do the very thing we see him doing in our text today. I want you to picture this. For 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus had appeared. And the people had been praying. For 50 days they've been gathering and praying. And on this 50th day after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit showed up just like the Bible said that he would. And all the disciples were triggered. And they began to to preach. But Peter was triggered in a very special way. He preached his first Holy Spirit-empowered gospel sermon. Now, his, his experience was not just unique to him. I can remember when the Holy Spirit moved on me and triggered me and changed my life. Uh, many have been triggered and changed. I think of Moses Chan, who's probably listening to us all the way in India today. I, I remember his story of, of miraculous work of the Holy Spirit bringing healing to his life. And he was triggered to now plant churches all over northern India. How Spurgeon, on a snowy day, the Holy Spirit moved. He was triggered, became one of the, the great preachers of, of, of our, 
of our church family in all of history. Lottie Moon, this unbelievably powerful, influential physician, little lady who goes to China to change the world. Annie Armstrong, this girl who was saved in college, who, who began to see the need in urban areas and started the, the Women's Missionary Union so that the gospel was taken into the, the nation, into the United States. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He triggers us. And so if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Acts chapter 2. I want to look specifically at the last part of Peter's first sermon. But I, I want you to get the gist of what he's been saying up to this point. See, this, this section that we're going to look at, it's the end of his sermon, but if you, if you would, in, in Acts 2, we, we read as I was coming up, we saw the verses 1 through 4 about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and so we know that the, the disciples are now speaking in languages they don't know. Verse 14, he's standing with the 11, and he begins to preach, that is Peter. And verse 15, he begins to explain their actions based on the book of Joel. He says, look, guys, what's going on here is what God promised in his word. This is not something weird. This is what God said he was going to do. The spirit of God has come. It's a reversal of the curse. After Babel, the people were scattered throughout the world because of their language. Now they are being drawn in through the power of the Holy Spirit who is speaking in all those languages and drawing in God's people to himself. Verse 25, he, he spoke of Jesus as the promised Messiah based on the book of Psalms. He's quoting scripture. He also established the crowd's blame for Christ's crucifixion in verse 36. And let's not forget that Christ was crucified because of all of us. His life was not taken from him. Jesus said he laid his life down. Why did he have to do that? To save us. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross so that we would be saved. It's my fault that he hung on that cross. It's yours. We're all guilty. And Peter pointed that out. And then in the brokenheartedness, the people ask, what should they do? And here is Peter's response. All right, let's go now to Acts chapter 2. And uh, I need to catch up. And, and let's go to verse 38. Uh, let's all stand together in honor of God's word. I'm going to read through verse 41 and God willing explain it. The people ask, what shall we do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated, may God bless the preaching now of his word. The coming of the Holy Spirit has changed the way human beings relate to God. God now lives in us. He makes us new the Holy Spirit brings warmth to our life. Just as that day fire came down, that, that fire brought a warmth that triggered the disciples. And that warmth now triggers us to serve God. Take note and, and know 
The warmth of the Holy Spirit triggers God's people to do four things that you can see in the text. First is this, to share the gospel of God. The Holy Spirit, his warmth, always triggers God's people to share the gospel of God. And that's what Peter does in verse 38. Peter's invitation to repent, to do an about face of your life's orientation and attach yourself to Jesus is the good news of the gospel. Turning from sin and turning to Christ is the necessary condition for receiving salvation. Now, there are some who, when they dissect this text alone, which is what you should never do, you should never take all of your theology from a single text. A single text should always be taken in consideration of all of Scripture. And there are some who say, oh, you just have to repent. And, and then you say, no, you have to repent and believe. Mark 1.15, Jesus said that. But we do see belief in verse 44. We see the call to believe. We must repent and believe to be saved. This is the gift of God. Repentance, John Stott said this, repentance and belief involve each other. The turn from sin being impossible without the turn to God and vice versa. We, we see in our own three circles uh, God's design has been lost because of our sin, and now we're in a world of brokenness. I don't need to convince anyone of that today. But if we will repent and believe the gospel, what Christ has done for us, not what we do for God, that's not the gospel. That's not good news. That's bad news. That's a lie. That's the lie of all world religions. If you will do for God, then God will save you. If you will do what God demands, then God will save you. That's not good news. That's bad news because there's not a human being on this planet who can do that. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there's nothing that can undo what we've done. But Christ can cover what we've done. Christ has paid for what we've done. And Christ will live in all those who repent of their own self-sufficiency, of their sin, and believe that Christ has accomplished what is necessary for salvation on the cross, that he has been raised, that he is alive, so that we can pursue and recover God's design. And, and to pursue and recover God's design, well, that first step is to be baptized. Peter, Peter calls for each, look at this, individual to be baptized. Each one of you to be saved requires an individual of their own volition to repent and believe the gospel. Having believed, we are of our own free will to step out in obedience and be baptized. We are to be immersed, to be baptized in, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the name of God. Joseph Addison Alexander puts it like this. By his authority, acknowledging his claims, subscribing to his doctrine, engaging in his service, and relying on his merits. That's what we're doing when we're being baptized. That's what we're stating the truth to. One commentator says to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is not different from being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Even though different words are used here in Acts, the meaning is the same because in biblical usage, a person's name represents the person's character. Everything that is true about the person, the name, that is the character and attributes of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is the same as the name, the character and attributes of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew 28, 19, the word name, onoma, Greek word, is singular. Be baptized in the singular name, indicating that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are one. They are one God. And we talked about this last week. To be baptized in the name is a sign of identifying with the name and taking on Christ's character. 
as well as committing to live one's life from that point as a representative of that name. One of my favorite ways to think about baptism is to say you're putting on the uniform. Lots of people can say they're on the team, but until you put on the uniform, no one can recognize you. Being baptized is that first step. And then we go out on the field in the name of Jesus and we love and we serve and we speak the truth. We share the gospel. See, that moment we are saved, the, the Holy Spirit of God is there. He's moving. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift makes us alive through the conviction of, uh, that he brings. He comes to dwell in us. He seals us in the holiness of Christ until the day of judgment. Yes, the warmth of the Holy Spirit triggers us to share this gospel in our own testimony, in our own obedience, and in the words that we use, just as Peter did that day. And it's that word that transforms lives and cultures. Second thing to note is this. The warmth of the Holy Spirit triggers God's people to believe the promise of God. The promise, singular, of God. Promises for you and your children. The promise is the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Acts chapter 2, verse 33. The promise is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now that the promise has been fulfilled and the Holy Spirit has come, those who God calls experience Him. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all things. Peter believed the promise. Peter had been chosen by Jesus, having been empowered by the Holy Spirit, stood that day and he proclaimed it. And now all who believe, we are saved. And in our salvation, we experience this promise. And a part of experiencing this promise is proclaiming what God has done. It's important to understand that we can't save anybody. I can't save you. You can't save your kids and friends. You can't save your parents. But there's one thing that we can do. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can share what is true. Paul writing to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. How then will they call on on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The promise of God stands. The Holy Spirit has come. And we are to live in that promise. And in that promise, we are to proclaim that Christ has come. That the good news is real. And standing in the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit and standing in the transformation that he alone can bring about, we now share his word. We share the hope that we have in Jesus. And we tell everyone that we can, you are loved by God. You are not abandoned. You can believe if you will repent of self-sufficiency, if you will trust in Christ and not in in human institutions and doings, you can be saved. Friends, we don't know who God is calling, but we know that he is. I am daily amazed that he called me. 
I, I was reminded of the summer right before we came, being in a grocery store, and the grocery store clerk that was ringing me out said, I can't believe you, of all people, are a pastor. And I said, excuse me? She said, I went to school with you, and I know what you're really like. And I said, you probably do, some, but you have no idea what God has done. Friends, I have no right to be your pastor, but I have been called by God, saved by grace, filled with his spirit, and free to lead in what he is doing in the world. And so are you. Every one of us in this promise have a place, and we have so much to do because there's so much darkness. And it's our role, it's God's call that, that we spread this news, that we stand in this promise, and that we proclaim, write it down, the warning, the warmth of the Holy Spirit triggers God's people to proclaim the warning of God. Here's the warning. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. I don't need to spend any time this morning convincing you that the world is not as it should be, do I? I don't have to throw up pictures of the last week to show you that we have a broken world, do I? I don't need to spend time this morning convincing anyone in this room that, that they have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, do I? I don't need to, to, to show and, and to speak of all these unspeakable, awful things that have happened in our nation in the last 48 hours, in the last week, to convince anyone, do I? The world is a confusing place. Here we are, the image bearers of God, hating each other. Here we are, the image bearers of God in the hands of the evil one who is robbing us of dignity, robbing us of peace, killing us as we kill each other. There is a better way. Thanks be to God, there is another way. And that way is not the way of the world. Flee this world. Walk away from the ways of this world. This world is a dark place. And all those of us who've been given the light of God, we must warn those in darkness. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, everyone who's in darkness is in danger. No matter what color skin they have, they're in danger. Every soul will stand before holy God and give an account for what they've done. And they need to know that God loves them. They need to see the light. They need to know there is a better way. Last year, I met a soldier from Syria who had escaped, he had left his regiment and he had fled for Europe. He had done awful things. Along the way, he had a dream about Jesus. He had a dream about a person 
who was going to tell him about Jesus. And the next day he met that person in his dream. And he repented and believed in Jesus. He repented of sin. He believed in the gospel. It's been a few years since that time. He's now planting a church in Europe. A murderer. A bigot. A bad, bad man. Has been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. He was saved from the darkness and now he has been brought into light. And you know what he's free to do now? He's free to say, I was was bad and worse than you can know, but by the grace of God, I have been forgiven and saved. And he can seek forgiveness and he can give forgiveness and he can live as light. And he's now warning many, save yourselves from this crooked generation. We live in a very, very confusing world. And there is so much darkness. In order to help, we must be living in the light. Ephesians 5.8 For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What does that look like in your world? What does that look like in your home, in your neighborhood? Look, it's easy to get mad about what's happening in other cities. It's easy to point fingers about what the government should be doing. It's easy to sit and, and give judgment on people that we don't know and, and don't have a clue of what they've been through. Forget that. What about you? What about me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? Friends, we're believing the lies of the darkness. We're not living in the Holy Spirit as light. We're not warning others. We're keeping quiet. We're towing the line. We're, we're, we're giving the talking points of a political position. We're saying what we hear from those who can say it eloquently say what's true know what's true the word of God is true there's power in the spirit of God we can live as light and in so doing celebrate the work of God that's the last thing the warmth of the Holy Spirit triggers God's people to celebrate the work of God those who received his word what did they do they were baptized They were baptized and they were counted amongst the number of the redeemed. They joined the church. They said, it's not about my life anymore. My life is buried with Christ. I've been washed. I've been raised to walk in a new life. My life as a believer is no longer about me. Your life as a believer is no longer about you. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised. It's about what the spirit of God can do. It's about the glory of the Father who loved you and chose you and is now willing to work through you. It's about family. It's about the needs of our neighbors. It's about every generation knowing the hope of Jesus. It's not about us. It's bigger than us, but we get to be a part of it. Each one of us is vital to the cause of Christ. 
Each one of us has a place in his kingdom. Friends, let me ask you, do you need to repent and believe the gospel? I know some of you, some of you say, oh, I've done that. Have you? Really? Does it shine through you? Does it alter the way you think and feel? Is it driving your decision making? Or is it just something you kind of picked up in your back pocket just in case hell's real? Friends, salvation is a life transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in the blood of Jesus who died to pay for our sin to the glory of the Father. Is that your story? Is that your song? If not, then you're just a religious person counting on what you can do, and you are not saved. Friends, salvation is by grace through faith. It's trusting in Jesus, not yourself. It's not thinking you're good. It's thinking that God is good and telling everyone of the goodness of what he's done. Have you been baptized? Have you made public profession of saving faith in Jesus Christ? It's the first step of obedience. If not, why not? If not, why not now? If you need to talk with someone, if you need to be saved, text, welcome to hope, no spaces, 84576, do it right now. And I'll contact you in just a few minutes. Let me ask you to join the church. Let me give you another point of information. Connect at lhbg.org. If you're not a member of a church, join ours until you find the church God wants you to be at. We'll just be a bridge. Lastly, what do you need God to do? He can do it. Let's pray. Father, I I ask that you would save many today. Father, I, I ask that you would renew and revive your church today. Father, I ask that you would bring about a great awakening today. That it would begin with your church family, those you've saved, that we would love and that we would live as light in this dark world and that we would share what is true. God, do miracles that only you can do. Transform lives. Lord, we do pray for healing. We know many that are sick. God, I pray for Dr. Shadowin that you would heal her body. Lord God, I pray for for my, my brother, Dr. Bill Daniel. Strengthen him. Father, there are so many who are sick. Do what only you can do. There are many who are afraid. There are many who are overwhelmed with life. Father, give them hope. And let us be a family of faith that looks to you and finds strength in you alone. We ask this in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We are dismissed, but we're going to dismiss a row at a time. So you see those ushers coming. Friends, be at peace. You're dismissed.